one of my favorite movies of all time is Up, where they talk about adventure is out there. Adventure is where you want to be, and adventure is at hand. So uh, we talk about being adventurous at heart today and what that means to be an adventurous eater, as well as a few little first aid safety kind of things that I do that I pack with me that I think you might want to hear and might want to practice yourself. Let's get started. Welcome, welcome to the Nomadic Foodist Show, a podcast for food-obsessed travelers. My name is Chris, your host, and I help people discover amazing food all around the world. Today is a solo podcast with me, and today I'm going to go over some of the important details that I take whenever I travel, some first aid and safety issues, what do I do in case of an emergency, what do I do about travel insurance, as well as how to be a better, more adventurous traveler so that you can have this amazing trip and have your heart set in the right direction so that no matter what obstacles, no matter what things kind of pop up that may delay you or things that may go unexpectedly, you can have such an amazing trip, an amazing time, whether you are eating at a new restaurant in your own city or you're all the way across on the other side of the world and trying a brand new dish you never knew existed. So um, we're going to dive right in. The first order of business that I need to go over is that I am not a doctor. I am not a expert of any kind when it comes to trauma, when it comes to first aid, or anything else. I'm just going to tell you what I use and the things that I pack with me because I found them useful, and the things that I have used many, many times in many different types of situations. So these are the things that I have. And I'm not making any recommendations necessarily that you should try these things, but, or they should have them on you. But the thing you have to understand is before you buy any sort of medications over the counter or prescription or anything like that, you have to make sure that you consult your physician first. That's really, really, really important because you, they will kind of go through all the details with you of what's okay based on your health and as it is already. So not an expert, not making any specific recommendations, but I'm going to tell you the things that I use, and if you find it useful, you should kind of plan ahead and talk to your doctor ahead of time. Okay, now we're going to dive right in. So I know it's kind of boring to talk about, and it may not be that exciting, but I want to go over some first aid things. These little things that can kind of hinder your experience, especially if you're on a short time frame when it comes to travel, because you don't want your health or a certain situation or circumstance to kind of get in the way. So there are things that I pack that kind of help me out. And I carry a backpack with me everywhere I go. And one of the things I always carry with me, first of all, is a collapsible water bottle. So I have a one liter platypus brand um, collapsible water bottle, and I've had it for years. So it lasts a long time. It's very durable and it's really easy. I just refill the water whenever I need it before I go out and I have water with me. I don't have to worry about trying to find water. I have water on hand when I need it. And People wonder, well, what happens when the water runs out? Well, I'll just go buy a bottle of water if I need it, but I have it there just in case. And I have that water bottle there. So if I need uh, to take a pill, if I'm feeling dehydrated, if I'm eating something off the street, I have the water when I need it. And it sounds kind of basic, but how often do you carry a water bottle with you everywhere that you go when you travel? Or when do you think about uh, refilling that water bottle and making sure that you have hydration on hand? So it's these little things like I, I travel for years without doing this and it seems so basic, but hey, it's there and, and I have it. And even though I don't carry this with me in my backpack all the time, but I do carry it with me to every country I go to now, 
is a collapsible, reusable filtration water bottle. And I use the uh, Katadyne Bee-Free Water Bottle. And it can be used in all sorts of circumstances in case of an emergency. It's good to have on you because if you're in some sort of natural disaster, running water kind of gets cut off, you may not be able to get bottled water on hand. Like if there's a big flood and you're kind of trapped inside of your building, what do you do for water? Um, Well, you'd have to find a way to scoop water, filter it, and boil it to make it safe for you to drink. Or you have this really nice reusable hiking style water bottle. So people use this water bottle when they go on long hikes to get water from rivers and lakes and everything. And I have it also not just for those emergency situations, but when we were in like Mexico, I'll just filter out the water that I need instead of going out and buying gallons and gallons of water. So this one specifically, I forgot, I think it's like over a thousand liters of water, I think before I have to buy a new filter. So it has a pretty long life and you can use it and then keep reusing it for years until you hit kind of hit that limit. So for me, it's a no brainer to kind of have something like that in case of an emergency, but also for just usefulness as well, because it already saved me money by having it and then using it in these countries where I can't drink the tap water and I can just not buy gallons of filtered water down at the store, even though in these sort of countries, they're usually pretty cheap. I don't know. For me, I can just use this and have it in an emergency situation as well. Um, I used to carry around a life straw with me, um, which is actually uh, a pretty good idea if you are on a budget and you still want a emergency kind of water filtration system just in case, because I don't know, you just don't know what's going to happen when you're traveling. You don't know if a hurricane's going to rip through, if there will be an earthquake, or if there's going to be any sort of flooding. So it's good to be prepared and at least have it in your suitcase in those really off chance emergency situations so that you can always have water. Because for any sort of survivalist who listens or anybody who has taken any sort of survivalist trainings, there are a few things that kill you when you're out in the wilderness. And the first one is exposure to elements, second one is water, and third is food. Because you can go three hours exposed to the elements before you die. You can go three days without water before you die. And you can go 30 days without food before you die. So it's one of those things that, okay, if you can eliminate one of those things, if there's a natural disaster, even if it's a very well civilized, it's a very well organized city, it can still be a difficult predicament that you can alleviate with just a little bit of preparation. Life straws aren't that expensive. But if you want to invest in like the Katadyne water bottle like I did, I think everything together is 45 bucks. So yeah, and I think I got on sale on Amazon too. So big plus and a big win there. And now I am pulling out my little tactical bag. So I got this bag on Amazon. It's something that you use for, um, I guess, the military use. You can kind of put it on like a tactical backpack. It has Velcro, it has straps and stuff, so it can kind of go on the outside of any backpack. But I like it because it's thin. So I can put it in the back of my backpack. And then I think it's like eight inches by six inches when it comes to the um, length and height. That way it kind of runs flush with my back. And, and it doesn't take up a lot of like width, so it doesn't like widen my backpack. Really nice, really easy. And I'm going to go over with you some of the things that I carry with me that I, I have used all these things before. And the first one is um, I use and I carry allergy relief eye drops. Very, very useful <laughs> in all sorts of circumstances because I don't know if the country I'm going to, how, how my body is going to react, first of all, to the allergens in that, in that area because there's 
unique flora that your body has never been exposed to. And there are different uh, circumstances and different seasons that release different allergens that my body just doesn't know how to accept and how to acclimate. So um, I carry um, allergy pills, like 24-hour allergy pills that I got um, over at uh, Target, over-the-counter, really easy, and I got these allergy relief eye drops that come in handy. And I've used it not just for my eyes. All of a sudden, I'll be walking around and enjoying the city, and I'm like, my eye just gets super itchy all of a sudden. And my wife looks at it and she's like, are you okay? Like your eyes are all red. I'm like, well, I guess I know what this is just because the wind could be blowing and these allergens just got into my eyes and I just needed to use these allergy relief eye drops. And I get all these like over the counter things from Target here in the United States because they have a brand that is like their budget brand called Up and Up. So huge money saver. And I'm a big way of, I'm not loyal necessarily to brands. So if I'm getting ibuprofen, I don't need Advil. Okay. I'll just buy any brand of ibuprofen. So these eye drops and everything else that I carry that is over the counter is going to be an off brand usually, because I don't really care. As long as the ingredients are what I need, I'll go ahead and buy anything. And the up and up brand I mean, it's, things are about like a fifth of the price. I mean, a huge, huge savings. So a little travel hack there if you are going to get any of these over-the-counters and you live in the United States, the Up and Up brand is really inexpensive. And in my opinion, they're cheaper than just about any other like budget brand out there. Um, so I have these allergy relief pills, allergy relief eye drops. I carry a little packet of floss as well. So this floss... It's really, really handy. You're out, you eat something, stuff something stuck in your teeth. It is so freaking annoying to have that little piece of meat stuck between your teeth all day until I get back to my hotel room. It is just terrible. So I carry this little packet of floss. And I guess I could carry flossers, but I don't want to have to carry and pack a whole bunch. So this little thing of floss, I just got from the dentist. It's like their little goodie bag that they give you for free, where they give you like a free toothbrush, some toothpaste, and like a little packet of floss. So yeah, I just use one of those. So this, this guy was free. Easy. I carry some of the basics when it comes to medicine. So I carry acetaminophen, which is Tylenol is the main brand. That is for like headaches and um, any sort of like sudden pain. Um, if I, you know, stump my toe or if my, if I hit my knee against something, I also have um, ibuprofen with me as well. So these I carry, not the bottles, but I bought these little medicine bags. These things are just, goodness, maybe two inches by two inches, a little zip bag that zips closed. And I got those at Walgreens or any sort of pharmacy will sell them probably as well. And so I just put enough in these like little baggies of these pills to last me the whole day. So if I was out for the whole day, how many pills will I need for um, a headache or uh, a sore muscle? And I have those there in these little bags because I don't want to carry these big old bottles around in this backpack. So I only have what I need for the day. And I do pack with me bigger bottles, but those stay in my hotel room. And I use those to refill these little uh, baggies whenever I need them. So buy the whole bottle, take them with you if you need it. And if you're on, I don't know, a shorter vacation or a shorter holiday, a shorter trip, you only need to carry a 300 pill bottle with you to another country. You can just put it in a little baggie 
of what you think you'll need in the worst case situation, and then you have it with you. You don't have to waste all that space and weight uh, for your packing, and you can just be a little more optimized with it. That's what I would suggest. So I have those basic relief kind of things. And then I have something that helps with congestion in case all of a sudden, like I start feeling sick. Like if I think I might have a cold, because sometimes these symptoms can come at the worst possible times. You know, you could be on a flight, you could be in the middle of the city sightseeing, and all of a sudden you start sneezing, your eyes start watering, maybe you start coughing, and you can't stop. So I have with me um, a cold and flu kind of over the counter in these little pill packets, you know, the ones that kind of sound like this. So little fat, flat things. And I carry that with me in case of those circumstances. And I have more in my bag just in case if I do catch a cold on the flight. And then when I'm over in the city, all of a sudden, bleh, that, that's kind of that's tough. Like, I don't want to have to deal with that. So yeah, cold and flu. I usually carry some sort of like anti-diarrhea medicine that the most popular brand out there is Imodium. And then these little packets as well, you can kind of hear that. And they're really small. They're really useful. They don't take up much space. And these will save you, okay? These are an absolute must when in other countries. Not that the food is bad or that'll make you sick. It's just that sometimes foods may not settle well because your body, your gut biome, isn't used to those sort of flavors. It's not used to those sort of proteins. It can cause you to have diarrhea, okay? It happens. And it'll happen at the worst possible times when you're out in the middle of sightseeing on the streets, you can't find a public restroom and it's going to hit and it's going to be tough. And then it's going to keep coming at you unless you do something about it. So these little pills are really, really useful. And I use the Up and Up brand, like I mentioned before, because Imodium for like a pack of, I don't know, 12 pills, it'll cost you US dollars. Whereas the Up and Up at the time when I bought these cost less than $3. So I stock up on those. Those ones I bring a lot of because my wife and I will travel for months and months at a time. So I have that because it's really useful. It's on hand and I know the the brand and I know that these things work. So very, 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 very important. Um, I also carry around some sort of like pills, same thing for like diarrhea, upset stomach, uh, nausea. So um, Pepto-Bismol is the common brand in the United States. So I just buy the off-brand and they come in a pill form, and I have those just in case if I'm just not feeling well, all of a sudden I'm feeling nauseous, or um, I'm an upset stomach situation. I have that on hand to help alleviate those symptoms. I have I have sleep aid pills, so those are really useful if uh, we're traveling, and I just have it on hand if I want to take a nap, or if it's a long overnight bus somewhere, if it's on an overnight flight. I can go ahead and take these pills and they'll kind of knock me out. It's a, it's a nice little like thing to have as well. I have Bayer aspirin. So aspirin is good in case of, you know, it, it is a pain reliever, but I carry this for the emergency of if my wife and I are like suffering from a stroke, then we can kind of chew one of these things, thins out the blood. That way you can buy yourself some more time before the ambulance and paramedics can kind of help you. So that's like an emergency situation. So I don't carry a lot of that on me, just enough for that emergency situation. I don't even carry like refills of it with us just because I'm, I know I'm not going to need it. <laughs> that, if that makes any sense, really. Um, just in the off chance that it does happen, it can buy some more time. And yeah, it's a little, it's a little overkill to, to kind of keep that with you. But remember, we're, we're traveling for six months usually in any given time. So it's nice to have that on hand in a just-in-case situation. 
I also carry some sort of anti-acid chewable tablets as well. Something that's not sitting right, having some acid kind of shoot up uh, is not fun to deal with over long periods of time. And acid chewables, really, really nice to have. And I know this is an off one, but I carry caffeine pills. Not a lot, but just a few. And hear me out on the caffeine pills. Sometimes if we're on like an overnight flight, because we travel budget and overnight flights and red eyes are usually cheaper. Sometimes I don't want to sleep. So I want to make sure I land and I'm alert and awake because I'm in a new country. A whole new set of circumstances are happening around me. I don't know the culture as well, and I need to have my wits about me. So about an hour before I land, I'll take some caffeine pills. And when we land, we get through customs and we're ready to go to our room or whatever. I am alert and I'm awake. Or sometimes if I don't want to sleep at all, I can take that before the flight. So I have the awakeness the whole time. And so it's not a problem, but you don't want to be groggy. You don't want to be tired when you're trying to navigate a new city. That's where accidents happen. That's when you can get scammed. And that's when you can get turned around or lose something or someone can snatch something from you because you weren't paying attention. You don't know where you are. And yeah, you can stop. You can have a cup of coffee. But usually after those long flights, I'm ready to kind of get to my room. I'm ready to kind of get things going. I don't want to have to deal with, you know, sitting around a little bit longer because I've just been sitting around the airport before my flight. I went ahead and got on my flight and now I'm here. So I'm like, okay, I am ready to go. And the caffeine pills are useful. So each pill that I have and that I take, each one is 200 milligrams, roughly two to two and a half cups of like drip coffee, um, if, if you will. So that is good enough for me. And I, it sits really well. And definitely talk to your doctor about caffeine pills for sure and all these things, but caffeine pills especially. It's kind of a a weird thing that not many people take, but they're available at almost every single pharmacy or you can, you know, shop online, but I don't carry a lot. So it's just like one of those situations. I know I have it when I need it. And I do use it for those overnight flights when I need to make sure that I am alert when I land. So useful tip there. Let's see here. What else I got? I have anti-cough pills. So I don't know. Sometimes you just get into like a coughing fit and you can't stop. So these pills will kind of help with the coughing. These were um, really inexpensive. I got off the internet, uh, off Amazon for I think three bucks. And so they're just cough suppressant kind of pills. And same thing. I have these nasal decongestant pills as well, which can be used for all sorts of things and uh, for allergies or sometimes you're just stuffed up for some reason you don't know why so i carry a lot of those things to alleviate the symptoms because nothing can make a flight like worse than just being uncomfortable having your face congested having all these things kind of happen to you be coughing for whatever reason and you just are uncomfortable the whole time so those things can really really help i carry dramamine as well which is the main like motion sickness brand so I couldn't find any off brands that carried this at a reasonable price. I just went ahead and bought that. And it's nice because it helps with motion sickness. Uh, just sometimes if you go on a flight, if you're on a boat, if you're on those sort of situations and you can just catch you on an off day or sometimes swells, if you're on a boat can just kind of really catch you off guard and it can really make you kind of feel a little nauseous. Okay. And I don't care how many times you've been on a boat, if swells kind of hit you all of a sudden they can come out of nowhere it can get bad really really quick so 
these are there just in case. They're in a small little tube. They don't take much space up. So I got these as well. And then I have some basic um, like bandages. So little band-aids. Um, I have different types that are waterproof. Ones that have like a fabric-like texture. I have bandages as well. These are two inches by three inch um, non-stick um, bandages. And I also have some athletic tape that's like wrapped around a marker cap or a pen cap. So I have this athletic tape that will stick to just about anything and hold things in place. So let's say if I get a really, really bad scrape, that one, you know, one or two small band-aids really won't help cover up. Then I have that on there that I can put on there as well. And I have these little wipey uh, alcohol pads. So I have a few of those in case I need to disinfect a cut. I can put the band-aid, the bandage on there, no problem. And all those things, all the things I just mentioned are in my little travel emergency first aid kit that can take care of 99% of things that happen, <laughs> okay? And it's, it is a lot, okay? I understand it is a lot, but I have traveled a lot and I've used all of these things. They've all come in handy and they've helped make my trip a little bit better because I didn't have to deal with the headache. I had a Band-Aid and I didn't need to look for a first aid kit in a museum or on the street somewhere. And I know I could disinfect something and I know that I can cover it up and save it from infection. So I have all those things in this little packet with me. And just from adventuring out into a city, even though you may be in a big city like New York City, and you all of a sudden have a headache, do you want to go into a drugstore and then spend, you know, $10 on on a bottle of, of, of pills to help you with your headache? Or do you just want to have it with you? Something you've already paid for. It's not a surprise expense. You've planned for this and you're prepared. A little bit can go a long way. So like the acetaminophen, like I have, I think, um, 10 pills with me um, at all time. And same thing with the ibuprofen. I have those just in case. And I got this, trying to think of where I got this idea. I was listening to a podcast. I think it was Steve Ranella from Meat Eater. He kind of talked about his little like med kit that he always carries with him. He has a whole bunch of other stuff, like stuff to make fires and stuff like that. So if you're a backpacker, you should definitely listen to some of his preparedness stuff that he has, but I don't need to make a fire anywhere. So I have, <laughs> I have all the things for the basic first aid. Now, I did take things a little bit further this year, and I, I got things for like a trauma kit in case one of it gets hurt really, really bad. Like we're in a car accident and we're, let's say, in a country where I don't know how the response time is for an ambulance to get to me. So I don't know. So I have to be prepared for those situations. If I get into a car accident and I have a really, really bad cut on my arm, do I know how to stop the bleeding? Do I know how to provide first aid to myself and my wife or she to me if I'm unconscious? Like, do we know how to handle those emergency situations until um, prepared help can get there? And I don't know if I got into a motorbike accident in Vietnam, how well prepared I would have been if... I didn't have all these things with me or um, if we didn't know what to do in these sort of circumstances. So uh, first, I have taken a first aid course, my wife and I both, because if one of us goes into cardiac arrest and we aren't breathing, we're unconscious, we both know how to provide CPR to each other. And that's really, really important, okay? And if you're traveling by yourself, I still think you should take your first aid course because they still teach you a few other important details about what to do in these sort of emergency situations. So a little bit of knowledge goes a long way. It kind of reminds me of the old like G.I. Joe cartoon, knowing is half the battle. And yeah, it, it really is. Once you kind of know how to handle these sort of 
um, emergency, uh, surprising, and off situations, then you know how to handle it a little bit better when they actually arise and you're not as panicked. You're not as going into the unknown. So I do recommend, if possible, if you think that that will be important for you to try a first aid course. It's just good general knowledge to have, not just for when you're traveling, but also in just your everyday life. You don't know when these skills, when these things will come in handy for you. So for us, really, really important. Before we did our first long trip, that's what my wife and I did. One of, was one of my top priorities to make sure that we took a first aid course and know how to do CPR and provide first aid in those rare circumstances. So haven't had to use it, haven't had to use CPR or anything like that, but my wife and I did have a scare. She had to go to the hospital in Croatia a few years back and she had a hard time breathing. And I told her, honey, that the ambulance is coming. If you go unconscious, know, you know that I know CPR and I will make sure to keep you alive until they get here. And it was nice that I had the confidence in that situation that I know if my wife, the woman I love, the woman who I'm spending the rest of my life with, if she stops breathing, I can keep her alive. I can keep her going until the ambulance gets there and better help is there for her. So, and I know she can do the same for me, even, even though I'm bigger and she's got to push a lot harder on my chest to get my heart going. But I know that she can provide CPR to me if for some reason I stop breathing and I have the confidence in my wife because she has gone through the training. We've gone through and reviewed everything every single year and making sure that we can provide the first aid that we need to each other. So that being said, first aid, super important. And this year I put together like a trauma kit. So I have some quick clot bandages. So these bandages are specifically made with a material that can help blood clot quickly, just in case if you have a really bad bleed, if you, if there's a puncture wound of any kind, how to handle it, how to use these sort of bandages. And I have that, I have compressed gauze as well, just in case if I need a lot. So there's, there's a, a huge pack of of compressed gauze. And I also bought a smaller kind of tourniquet. That is a bit like overkill, I know, but it's a small one. So this one is from uh, Snake Snake Staff Systems. And they just came with this, uh, what they call the Everyday Tourniquet. So it's a smaller thing. I read, read up some reviews, so I bought it for myself just in case if... I'm not worried about getting attacked um, ab- abroad. I'm more worried about a car accident. And if you've if you're like me and you've traveled to some countries and you've been in those like really intense driving situations and your Uber or taxi driver is really aggressive and everyone else is aggressive, I've been scared a few times, I have to admit. And a lot of countries drive differently than how we do in the United States. So I want that just in case we get into a car accident, one of our arms or legs are really, really badly damaged, bleeding a lot. I want to make sure that I have something on hand to help with that sort of circumstance. That is a bit overkill. Like I said, it's a bit too much. But for me, it puts my mind at ease. And it's something that is very small and light that I pack. So I have that just in case now. And I think that's kind of good for like a lot of first aid and just about all emergency situations. Like that'll cover 99.9% of the things that can happen abroad. And for some reason, if you think that you don't need all these things, I get it. And you certainly don't need any of these things. So Um, definitely think about what you need and make your own decisions for yourself. Like I said, I can't tell you what you should do. 
I'm just telling you what I've been doing and the things that make me the most comfortable. Now I got to pull these medicines back in my bag, <laughs> just in case. But again, all of the, you know, over-the-counter pills that I bring with us, by over-the-counter, I mean I don't need a doctor to prescribe these. Um, these are just something I can get at any drugstore in the United States. So these things here, the most important thing is that anti-diarrhea medicine. <laughs> I'm telling you, you don't want to be in a situation where you're having to constantly run to the bathroom. I mean, that's like the worst, the worst, the worst. Um, and one thing I know that I've done that's been one of the most beneficial things when it comes to like traveler's diarrhea and eating a lot of unique and exotic food, being this adventurous eater that I am, gotta see, I gotta see, I gotta see a doctor about traveler's diarrhea to medicine. Um, because these are antibiotics that help me if I eat something and something's not sitting right and have, and you can have diarrhea for multiple days. So I can take this antibiotic. It's very, very useful. I've used it on every single trip. My wife hasn't needed it at all. I don't know how, but she has not needed to use these sort of medicines, and I have. So we always make sure that we kind of stock up before our long trips. And here's the thing too. I recommend this, that you see a travel clinic before you go. Like you have to see a doctor, see the travel clinic because they can tell you if you need certain vaccines, what might happen if you, you know, eat certain types of foods and fruits or vegetables. They'll go over some safety precautions. So that I do recommend. Go see a travel clinic, a travel doctor who specializes in these things. Because you want to know what you're getting yourself into. The last thing you need is to go to a country and you're going to go out into kind of like the rural areas and then you should have brought malaria pills because malaria is really prevalent and you just don't know until you talk to someone about it or you do your research. You don't want to be stuck in this sort of weird circumstance of do I stay and compromise my health or do I go to a safer place but spend more money and not do what I planned? You have to think ahead and a travel clinic and a travel doctor will go over all that with you and be sure to ask for a small prescription of traveler diarrhea antibiotics just in case. So talk to your doctor. Trust me, this will save you, especially if you're on a short trip. If you go to Vietnam for a week, you don't want to enjoy all this amazing food to be stopped all of a sudden because you're sick and then you have to go to the doctor there in this other country, work through the language barriers and have them prescribe you the right medicine and you still be sick for another day or two and to spend most of your trip not actually doing what you want to do. If you're an adventurous eater and these things happen, then you want to be prepared. Just, just trust. Even if you're not an adventurous eater, you just don't know those sort of things and you don't want to spend that time in these other hospitals because you're not doing what you want to be doing. <laughs> so not that these other hospitals are bad. We've been to hospitals dentist office in other countries. And I'm telling you, the doctors are just as good as they are here in the United States or sometimes better. It's not the doctor's offices or the hospitals that I'm worried about. It's you spending your time not doing what you want to do. Because whenever I've had that sort of issue where I can't get off the toilet or I'm feeling really, really sick, that antibiotic, I'm telling you, it fixed me up every time. And I don't know, I can't tell you which one it is, but talk to your doctor about it. And just say like, hey, is this a good option? 
should I have this? And let your doctor and you and your doctor kind of decide that. But that's just what I do. And goodness, it has saved me plenty of times. And if you're on a short trip, for sure, follow all the food and dietary precautions that these food and travel clinics can go over with you. (laughs) Like, don't eat raw fruits and vegetables that can't be peeled. You know, that's, that's something that I do. And it's just when you're on a shorter trip, you don't want to risk it. You know, I've been on these short trips and I don't want to risk, you know, spending three days, even if I have the antibiotics, because you're still not going to be right for three days from the first day you feel symptoms. If you take the antibiotic, it's still going to take until the third day for you to kind of feel better. So, well, well, for me, that's what it is. I don't, I don't know about you, but um, for me, that's just how it works. So you have to follow these restrictions really, really in depth. So I wrote a blog post about how to eat street food without getting sick. And it's not just about street food. It's just good advice for traveling and eating in general. I'll link to it in the show notes of the page for you, but you should definitely check it out. And just remember, talk to your doctor, talk to your doctor, talk to your doctor. Now let's move on from first aid and being prepared for those emergency situations to why I travel in the first place, and that is to eat the food of a country and try to discover and understand the culture through that food. For me, food is like the gateway and the easiest way that someone can understand a culture because everyone has to eat, right? Everyone has to eat, and in every single dish, think about it, anything that you eat, there are generations of people who have put their experience into that one dish. Hundreds, thousands of people, this recipe has transformed through time to hit your plate right now. Even if it's not like a family-run place, let's say if if it's even like a corporate chain, you go to McDonald's, you eat a hamburger. Think about how that hamburger got to you over time, not just in McDonald's history, but also in hamburger history. How did the hamburger even get there? Some say in the United States, Lewis's lunch in uh, New England in the United States can can tell you that they're the first place to make the real deal hamburger. And they're still kind of making them the same way that they've done for, for a long time since the turn of the 20th century. So there's all this history. There's all this uniqueness that goes into food. And I've come to realize most people are not adventurous eaters. And here's the thing that, and that's okay. You don't have to be this Andrew Zimmern, the guy from Bizarre Foods who loves eating all these unique uh, offal kind of dishes or bugs or these things that can kind of give, give us like the heebie-jeebies a little bit because we're not accustomed to eating these sort of things. So even though it may be weird for us to see someone eating liver or heart or kidneys of, of an animal to these other countries, that's like normal food. That's what you're supposed to eat every single day. And sometimes I encourage people to try these things when you go to these other countries because they've been pairing them so well for so long that it tastes amazing. And it's a unique part of their history and culture that you would have never experienced otherwise. A really good example for me, I think, is trying a lengua in Mexico or, or beef tongue is lengua. So the best way to have it is like in a taco. And it sounds strange. Okay, beef tongue, weird. It's from the head. It's this long thing. It can be kind of bleh. But trust me, they know what they're doing. And when they prepare lengua tacos, it doesn't taste like anything strange. In fact, I would argue lengua tacos, I prefer lengua tacos 
over than any sort of normal beef taco or any sort of other protein taco usually that they have because it tastes more like beef than chopped up steak. I know, it's weird. It has a stronger, really intense, delicious beef flavor wrapped up in this beautiful, delicious corn tortilla and then topped with cilantro and onions and salsas and it's just so wonderful. Trust me, you don't want to miss out on trying this sort of taco. And there's another one. I remember we were in Mexico City and we were at uh, the Central Historical Area. And I'll link to the show notes on the page as well. Uh, Los Cocuyos in Centro Historico has these uh, head tacos that I really, really loved. So they're made from the head of, I don't even know, it could have been a pig, maybe it's beef. Um, I'm not too too sure, but uh, it's it's, uh, cabeza head tacos. And they kind of boil it in this big old cauldron with all the other things. And then they kind of put on the flat top for a little bit too. It's just wonderful because the meat's so succulent. You don't know that you're eating something from the head, the, the head meat of an animal. It, it's this whole other experience that is wonderfully delicious, has phenomenal flavor, and you would have never thought to try it unless someone kind of like nudged you in that direction. Or if you're an adventurous eater and that one kind of surprised you like, oh, I got to try that. I'm telling you, like these sort of weird kind of foods that are strange to us are very normal to people in other countries. At the end of my podcast, I always say, eat with an adventurous heart, no matter where you go. Because that adventurous heart, I'm telling you, that is the key to having lasting memories. And the thing about adventure, I've I've said on this podcast before, adventure is never a smooth sailing voyage. Remember that. Adventure is never a smooth sailing voyage. Things will go wrong. Things will be unexpected. Things are going to happen that you don't like. But you know what? That's adventure. I mean, think about it. Anyone who's ever explored anything, who have went out, who have gone out to uncharted territories, who have explored these unknown areas, they faced tons of challenges, setbacks, and pain and uncomfortableness, and all these things that would ruin a vacation or ruin a trip. I'm telling you, that is where the good stuff is. Because when you try something that's new, let's just focus in on food because I think that's the easiest way to be adventurous without compromising a lot of things. You're not compromising your health. You're not compromising your trip. It's like with food, if you don't like it, you don't eat it, okay? But you know what? You tried it anyways. And the best possible situation, you try it, you eat it, you're surprised and you fall in love with something absolutely divinely delicious that you would have never expected if you didn't have that adventurous heart in the first place. If you are a shy or maybe a picky eater, this may be kind of hard for you, but trust me, if you invest at least one or two circumstances during your trip, if you focus in on, I'm going to try something adventurous. I'm going to try something different that if it was on the menu here in the United States or wherever your home country is, I wouldn't get it. I would not try it in an instant, but I have my adventurous mindset in place and I'm going to try something new and different and see how it tastes. It may taste terrible. Okay. Let's, let's just get that forward. There are plenty of things that I've tried that weren't my favorite and I wouldn't order again. Sticking onto the theme of tacos, I tried this tripe taco 
that uh, was very pungent, let's just say, and it wasn't my favorite type of flavor, something I wasn't really accustomed to, but I gave it a shot. I actually ate the whole taco. It had a great texture, but for me, I wouldn't order again because it was just a bit too strong of like that tripey, pungent kind of uh, flavor. Anyone who's tried those sort of like organ intestine kind of meats, you can, you, you, you understand where I'm coming from with this. So it can be a little bit of a challenge, but you know what? That's okay. I tried it anyways. <laughs> I tried it anyways, because if I didn't try it, I don't know if I would have liked it. Even some things that may seem familiar that we've had before can be presented in different ways. In uh, Tbilisi, Georgia, the country, not like the, the state in, in the United States, but Georgia, the country, there's something called um, kachupori. Kachupori is this bread, and it usually has some sort of cheese on there. There are different types of kachupori. So the one I'm referring to looks like a boat, and on the inside, it has this really ripe, really strong and really salty cheese. And they also add, usually, uh, a whole egg or an egg yolk, raw, in, in, this, in this bread after it's baked. So it's baked with the cheese. It's really delicious, wonderful yeasty bread. And then they kind of put a raw egg in there. To some people, I know for a fact, would not try it. Oh, a raw egg? That's so strange. Like, you, you, can, you can only cook eggs, okay? And the whites are still raw too? Blech. Okay. I get it. But what you do is you actually take your fork and you mix in that egg with that hot bread and that hot cheese in the center of this bread boat and it kind of cooks it slightly. In a way, it ends up being like a scrambled eggy mixture. Wonderful, delicious in all the best ways, I'm telling you. If you didn't have an adventurous heart and you just refused to try it, you would not have experienced the ecstasy (laughs) that comes from Kachibori. I'm telling you, so delicious and divine. In Japan, goodness, like they have all sorts of interesting things that they eat. And one of my favorites is sea urchin, where you go to these markets and they have the actual sea urchin, which is this little shellfish of some type or a crustacean. I don't know what, what exactly what genus it falls into, but it's this little spiky kind of thing that kind of crawls on the ocean floor. And they crack it open and you, you kind of eat the insides <laughs> and, and you eat the eggs uh, from inside sea urchin. So unique. And never in a million years would I probably ever tried it. But I remember Anthony Bourdain and he was such an advocate for sea urchin that I had to try it because he loved it so much. He said, this is one of the most amazing things you'll ever eat in your entire life. You have to try it. So I don't know. If it's good enough for Anthony Bourdain, it's good enough for me. I'm going to give it a shot. So I did. And just absolutely amazing. Every possible way. Tasted like a sip of ocean water with a slight hint of like shrimp or shellfish. Beautiful. Absolutely delicious. And you're probably thinking, whoa, that's weird. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It it is a little bit weird. But you know what? I loved it and I've eaten it ever since. And I, I really just can't talk about how great and wonderful sea urchin really is, especially when it's fresh and super simple and super amazing. It's just fine the way it is. Even sushi can be a big barrier for a lot of people, especially in the United States, because it's raw fish. And every family's different. Some people grow up with things that are raw are dangerous. So 
They eat well-done steaks, well-done burgers. Everything is kind of overcooked because we're worried about having like salmonella or some other sort of like foodborne illness can, can, can get to us. So I totally get it. But that's why you try a few things. You do a little bit more research. You understand the freshness and how things are raised. I mean, even in Japan, they eat raw chicken, okay? Not like completely raw. They'll like sear the outside, but it's, it's kind of eaten like medium rare. Sometimes, in some cases, not all the time. But in some places, you can get this really great raw like chicken, okay? And that seems really weird, especially to Americans, because our chickens are raised usually very poorly. They're kept in poor conditions and they're not stored in the best possible ways. Over there, they don't really have the salmonella problem. So it's just a whole thing that I don't want to necessarily get into when it comes to food safety and I guess food cleanliness, but you have to try it. You have to try these different things. And if you're on this, you're on this whole spectrum of like, okay, I want to be safe and I want to make sure I eat things that I know, but I also want to be adventurous and try new foods that are significant to this culture. How do you find that happy medium? How do you overcome these fears and these anxieties about trying something that might, in your mind, make you sick or something in your mind that might be a waste of money? So one of the things I do for myself is know that it's just one meal. So for the most part, I have certain guidelines that I follow when it comes to finding restaurants and where I decide to eat. So like street food, for example, if there's a line of locals, you know it's safe to eat there because they're not going to make something that's going to make the regular sick. And that's all in my guide of how to eat street food without getting sick, again, in the show notes of this page. But that's just one of the things I always look for. Is there a line of locals? If there's a line of locals, you know it's probably good to them. And then you know you're probably not going to get sick. So there's this whole thing of understanding of, okay, I have these guidelines. I know that I can find a restaurant or a place to eat that's adventurous and different that won't get me sick. Okay. Now, how about a waste of money? I don't know. For me, if you eat something that's reasonably priced and you don't like it, it's okay. You don't have to eat it. You don't have to worry about offending somebody else and you can just move on. It's okay. It's okay to not like a food that you try even if everyone raves about it, if everyone says, oh, this is so amazing, you have to eat this when you get there and you try it and you're like, I can't, oh no, Ugh. don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. And here's the thing, how you react to the food too will determine if you insult somebody. If you're at a restaurant, if you don't eat your food, I'm telling you, the waiters don't care. Like the people serving you the food won't care. If you're at someone's house if you are maybe in a smaller restaurant and maybe a small family is like serving you, I can understand the fear and anxiety there, but you can always tell them, you can eat a little bit, tell them thank you and show how thankful that you are that they've made this wonderful meal for you and you can move on. You don't have to eat everything. And if you're still worried, you can even tell them, you can just apologize for your just American palate. I've used that one before. Like, I'm sorry, I'm American. I'm not accustomed to these flavors. And if you're, if you can't communicate that and they're talking to you or trying to figure out why you're not eating this food, then you can use Google Translate. Um, You can ask someone else in the restaurant to help you too. But usually being embarrassed is not a big situation. And the waste of money, I'm telling you, it's money well spent. You have a story to tell. Like I tried like fermented squid in Japan and it was disgusting. (laughs) It was 
terrible. It's one of the worst things I've ever eaten in my entire life. But I have a fun story to tell, you know? And you can kind of start building up your tolerance to new experiences. I know for everybody, they have their own level of, okay, I want to try something new. I know that I can be adventurous and I know I can put these things um, in my life and I'll be okay. I know that it's not going to disrupt my mindset. I know I'm not going to be reflecting on this situation for very long. If I don't like it, I move on. Everyone has a different level of that. So the more you try new things, even when you don't like them, it still builds up that mental toughness in your mind to try new things later on. And then I think I'm a big proponent of that palates develop over time. So, I mean, anyone who drinks beer, most, most of us, goodness, like 99% of us who ever drink beer and wine for that matter, uh, the first time you try it, it is terrible. You're like, Ugh. <laughs> not very good. And then all of a sudden you either develop a taste or something happens to your palate that it's just somehow now ready for that sort of flavor. And it makes sense. I remember the first time I really liked wine. I was at uh, Capital Grill. And even though it's a chain, amazing steak. I don't care what it says. I love Capital Grill. So I was at Capital Grill. And for some reason, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try a glass of red wine. And I got a California cab for some reason after I've tried wine plenty of times before that I hated it. But for some reason today had a great steak. I'm going to try a glass of red wine. I tried it, especially with that steak. It was just this whole mind blowing food experience, something I've never experienced before. Somehow just the flavors, the acidity, the red wine and the steak somehow played together in such a marvelous way that I found this amazing pairing, you know, that was this whole new discovery for me. And my palate was ready for it now because I was willing to say yes this one time. And now I love wine. I've loved wine ever since just because I was willing to say yes at that one moment and just give it a shot, even though I've tried wine a handful of times before and always hated it, always hated it. But I said yes, and then it happened. So think about it for yourself. What has been, what's been like a food that you just weren't ready for? Your palate wasn't quite prepared for those flavors, but then you just, you just tried it. You kept trying it, you kept trying it. Then one day, just somehow it hits your tongue and all of a sudden, boom, you love it. Or maybe it's prepared a certain way by a certain restaurant. Like lamb is such a great protein, but a lot of different cultures prepare lamb in different ways. And sometimes it's, if it could fit the way you love to eat meat, and sometimes it may not, or sometimes it's completely innovative. Here in Denver, there is a restaurant called Elway's, and they have an appetizer called Lamb Chopped Lollipop Fondue. So it's really, really delicious where you have like each rib of lamb has a nice little chunk of meat on there, beautifully cooked, medium rare, delicious in and of itself. But then it comes with like this like cheese sauce that you dip it into. and the cheese sauce has like green chilies. It's just oh, creamy, wonderful, and perfect. And together, somehow, it's like a flavor explosion beyond anything I've tried before or anything like it. I've never seen anything quite like that since. And it's one of my favorite appetizers of all time. <laughs> and it's a bit different, right? Like, when have you seen land chop fondue anywhere? And you, you, you don't. So you never know. You could try something like that. All of a sudden, you might like lamb or. You might just like lamb that way. 
you may hate lamb all the other ways, but for some reason you like it that way. And here's the thing. It's okay. <laughs> like there's no, like you don't have to like anything. You don't have to enjoy a specific food. You don't have to do anything. Okay. You don't have to have this whole, like I have to eat everything and enjoy it all the time. No, it's okay to dislike food and it's okay to like foods in some instances and in others. It's not, it's okay. I'm a very unpretentious eater. I like everything and anything usually. And it doesn't matter if I'm in a hole in a wall, like breakfast spot, eating hash browns and eggs, or in a fine dining three Michelin star, you know, restaurant. I'm going to like it if the food's good and it fits my palate. And if it's at the right price, which is a whole nother discussion. But there's there's a whole different type of mindset that, that you have when it comes to being adventurous at heart which means you're willing to try things and be uncomfortable. And you're going to purposely put yourself in these uncomfortable situations to see if the experience is worth it and something that you want to try again. Because you're growing in that instance. You are growing as a person. You're growing in maturity and in an experience. And that whole thing that you just put yourself through, that uncomfortableness of trying a new dish, a new type of food, that makes you into a better person. Whether the food is good and to your liking or it's bad and you never want to try it again. Either way, you're growing from that experience. So I encourage you to be an adventurous eater when you can. Have that adventurous heart to put yourself in that mindset and know that you're not going to waste your money, that this is an experience worth having and you're trying something. You're putting yourself out there and that's okay. And it doesn't have to be this glamorous thing this whole, this whole experience has to be perfect. No, no, no. Remember, adventure has conflict. Adventure has setbacks. Adventure can be uncomfortable. And that is where the good stuff is. I'm telling you. Find that adventure. Even if you're trying a new restaurant in your own city. Adventure doesn't have to be this voyage that's dangerous, that costs a lot of money. You don't have to go whitewater rafting. You don't have to climb... Um, Mount Kilimanjaro in Africa. You don't have to go on this crazy exotic experience and try all these exotic foods. It can be something in your own life that's adventurous, right? Just trying a new restaurant. Or maybe you trying a new recipe, like trying to perfect something that is good and nourishing for yourself, but also that you can provide to others in your family. Trying those things, that adventurous heart is more than just something that is dangerous or something that is expensive. It can be so simple, but adventure is a matter of the heart and of the mind. So if you have that adventurous heart and you're going after these experiences, you're only going to have a richer, more lively, and more experience-filled life. I'm telling you, that is where all the good stuff is. And with all this adventure, I'm going to close there. I'm telling you, Thank you so much for listening, and I hope that some of these details, the stuff about first aid, about being prepared, and about being an adventurous eater and being adventurous at heart, I hope that encourages you to book your next trip, to try something new, and understand that if things don't go 100% the way you're wanting, that's where the good stuff is, and that's where you're going to grow. And to seek out those experiences, even when it's tough. And you don't need a lot of money. It's like, it's like I said, it's just a matter of the heart and of the mind. So go to nomadicfoodist.com slash adventurous at heart. That's nomadicfoodist.com slash adventurous at heart. 
to get a few of the show notes of these details, as well as a list of the things that I, that I pack with me that uh, I think are useful. And if you want to replicate it, like I said, talk to your doctor, talk to an expert first before you do anything that I've talked about here today. If you liked this episode, please hit that subscribe button so that a new episode comes for you every single week with travel experts and food lovers from around the world. Thank you again for listening. And remember, eat with an adventurous heart, no matter where you go.